about 5 to 10% of the cancer cases have truly inherited genetics for colon cancer. Everybody else has risk factors that they can mitigate to prevent colon cancer. So when I say that colon cancer can almost be obsolete in this country, I mean it. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen this week, or a view, or a download. Wherever it is in the world that you are, we appreciate the fact that you are here. And it's March, and March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. It's one of the most common forms of cancer, and it also happens to be one of the most preventable. Diet and lifestyle play an enormous role in determining whether or not we get colon cancer. And my guest today, Dr. Angie Sadeghi, is a gastroenterologist who says that no tears will be shed if we stop eating the sad diet, the standard American diet. So if we stop eating that and we load up on plant-based foods, the odds of living a long and healthy and cancer-free life improve dramatically. And one of the biggest keys to that is fiber. So really, it's kind of a simple formula. If you're not eating a lot of fiber, you're at a higher risk of getting cancer. But if you load up on foods that are naturally high in it, well, that puts you squarely on the path to a long and cancer-free life. And because we're talking about fiber, naturally, I had to bring in the dietitian who probably knows more about it than anyone else on the planet. Talking to Lee Crosby, known in these parts as the Fiber Queen. She's going to be here to share with us what foods have the highest fiber, what fruits, what vegetables should we be eating? What should we be putting in our grocery cart so that the next time we're at the store, we are just loaded up on fiber and ready to go. But before we get to Lee, we begin with Dr. Sadeghi and a wide-ranging discussion on colorectal cancer. We're talking about everything from the symptoms to the screenings to how you can protect yourself with diet and lifestyle. Both the good and the bad of it. So whole foods, processed foods, even how alcohol can factor in. There's a lot to discuss here. And we're going to get going with everything right now. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. This is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and I can think of no better guest to bring on the show than someone who I met out in L.A. back in December. We had this extraordinary conversation. We just start talking about all sorts of things, and we hatched the plan to do this very episode. And with that, I'm so happy to welcome Dr. Angie Sadeghi to the program. She is a practicing gastroenterologist in the New Beach area, and it is just a real honor to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. My absolute pleasure, Chuck. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for doing everything that you're doing here with the Physicians Committee this month because you really have become the face of our colorectal cancer awareness campaign this month. So thank you for lending your time and your expertise. You're doing a ton of good, and I think that there are going to be a lot of people who learn a lot of things from this interview today. Thank you. I'm hoping that colon cancer will be almost obsolete in this country. 
and it's possible with what we're going to talk about. I love the optimism. So let's let's start there. Where do things stand with the prevalence of colon cancer in the U.S. right now? What are, what are the latest statistics? Well, we're not doing very well in this country. Colon cancer is still a huge uh, medical problem in this country. In fact, it's estimated that in 2020, we will have we will diagnose 150,000 cases this year, and it is estimated that about 53,000 people will die of this disease. So we're certainly not doing well um, in this uh, case. And there are two problems: we're lacking adequate screening and we're lacking adequate prevention. Um, in regards to diet. And we will talk about that, obviously, later in this podcast. So more than 100,000 people will be diagnosed with colon cancer this year alone. And then 53,000, unfortunately, will pass. Those are enormous numbers. That's right. And imagine the morbidity and mortality besides the mortality, the morbidity that this is causing for people who are going through this disease and their families and the um, poor quality of life. I mean, I can I can tell you I've just recently diagnosed two cases of colon cancer, which were so unfortunate. Um, and uh, the, the stress that this disease causes on people and people around them um, is tremendous. So the push should be to prevent colon cancer. It should not be about discovering colon cancer and treating colon cancer. You see, there is a difference. There's a difference in prevention. And true prevention comes from screening and also um, comes from lifestyle modifications. So one should never have to worry about having colon cancer at all. And that's key. And I hope that after this episode, all your listeners realize that this is a disease where you can prevent most cases, almost 90% of the cases can be prevented. Can you imagine? Wow. So, wow. yeah, so perhaps we, um, we could actually beat colon cancer in this country. And if every single person listened to this episode, all right, 90% of those cases would go away. Imagine that. That easy. Wouldn't That's that be unbelievable. I, I'm just kind of sitting here because that was going to be my next question is how preventable is this? But now you give me the 90% figure and you're looking at 53,000 people unfortunately dying this year. Well, you take away 90% of that. You're only left with 5,300 people, which is still a lot. That's right. Yes. But that's a huge, huge, huge difference. Absolutely. Huge difference. So um, that brings me to my next point. If you look at the pie chart of statistics of colon cancer, about 65% are lifestyle related, okay? So it's about what we eat, what we drink, which we will talk about in just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the risk factors that I'll talk about is obesity, which is dear to your heart, I know, because of the miraculous weight loss that you've had, Chuck. But imagine 65% of these cases are completely lifestyle related. About 25% of people have a family history, but that doesn't mean that they have genetics for it. Only about five to 10% of the cancer cases have truly inherited genetics for colon cancer. Okay, Holy five cow. to 10%. That's right. Everybody else 
has risk factors that they can mitigate to prevent colon cancer. So when I say that colon cancer can almost be obsolete in this country, if everyone listened to this episode, I mean it. It's totally possible. And that, you know, it was just this weekend, I was driving around and I had on another podcast and I was listening to this athlete talk and he was explaining about how his family had all sorts of diseases and, you know, it just kind of runs in the family and he chalked it up to genetics. But then they got into talking about what it was that they were eating and it was so it was so much processed meat so much grilled meat did not hear a lick about any sort of fruits or vegetables in there and i'm struck you know speaking with some of your colleagues and and doing the show it's like genes don't have to be destiny and you're passed down more than just genetics you're passed down the recipes you're passed down the eating habits so you hear something like that people think that it oh well you know my dad had it so i'm gonna have it what you're saying is that's not necessarily the case Not at all. You know, I grew up thinking the same thing. I had that mentality. Oh, well, my father has cholesterol and I'm going to have cholesterol. And I kind of lived with that mentality for for many years. And of course, I replicated their bad diets because it was just traditionally passed down in our family. And I did eat a lot of red meat. I did eat a lot of chicken. And um, I I did eat some fiber, but I did eat fast food. And and I went on living that way until I learned about about whole food plant-based diets and the health benefits of it. And I did a switch, 100% whole food plant-based switch. And I look back and I'm thinking, wow, I was brainwashed into thinking, well, it was inevitable because because of my quote-unquote bad genetics. And I was underestimating how much diet has to do with it. So uh, I stopped eating McDonald's. I stopped stopped eating um, meat altogether. I stopped eating dairy. And now I'm living 100% whole food plant-based living. And I'm 100% sure that I'm not going to have to worry about gout like my father had, hypercholesterolemia like my father had. In fact, my cholesterol was high and now it's not. So there you go. It is. It has something to do. My father was on cholesterol meds at age 40. I'm wow. 46 and I was able to lower my cholesterol with diet alone. So that goes to tell you genetics I don't I don't think that genetics don't have a role in it, but it's a small it's much smaller than we think. Most of it is our lifestyle. Mm. I want to talk about some symptoms of this uh, with you here for uh, in just a second. But first, I got to tell you, one, you look fantastic for 46. I would have guessed you for maybe mid 30s. So, you know, keep up with that diet. Like what you're doing is clearly working. That's that's amazing. I'm telling you, Chuck, it's so anti-aging when you eat all these plants, the phytonutrients, the antioxidants, they increase your telomere size and, in fact, reverse aging. And, you know, uh, sign me up, right? That's that's my goal now. I mean, I just want to live to be 110 years old and and have a good quality of life, not a sick 110 years old. I want to be climbing mountains and um, enjoying nature. I want to have a really fantastic quality of life and grow old to see my children, grandchildren, children's, my child's grandchildren, and perhaps great-grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that you are, you are well on your way. Um, well, thank you. Because you've got the knowledge and you're practicing it. And that is just really uh, such a powerful combination. But let's, let's get back on track here because let's, let's talk about first some symptoms that somebody might experience. What are the first signs that somebody should be looking for uh, in terms of, wow, 
I should probably get this checked out. So very good question. Number one, I want you to know that, and I want the listeners to know that polyps which predispose you to colon cancer have zero symptoms. So you, if you have polyps, these are small abnormal growths that are in your colon. They're rather small. These guys lift, if they're lift in your colon for long periods of times, like five to 10 years, they can grow to become cancer. But the mo main point here that I want to deliver that these polyps are completely asymptomatic. So you would not know, you wouldn't have any pain, you wouldn't have any feelings that are abnormal. However, once they become colon cancer, that is, that means that these polyps have grown, the mutations have changed uh, things around a little bit, and now it is actually cancer. It has invaded the wall of the, of the colon, or it has metastasized to distant organs. Those, the symptoms change. So here's, here's the symptoms of actual colon cancer. One includes abdominal pain. It could be anywhere in the abdomen. Now, just because you have abdominal pain, it doesn't mean you have colon cancer. However, one of the symptoms of uh, colon cancer include abdominal pain. The other one is rectal bleeding. These cancers are rather vascular, so they bleed. The, the blood vessels on the surface of the polyp oftentimes bleed. So when there is blood in the stool, that's one of the symptoms. The other one is a change in the bowel habits. So for example, let's just say you're normally one who would have a bowel movement once a day and it looks like a sausage. Suddenly you can't go and you become obstipated or constipated. What happens is when the mask grows big enough and obstructs the lumen, the stool cannot go through. So oftentimes people come and tell me that I can't go anymore. Like this happened uh, two months ago. I was working at the hospital. This man came in and he said, I haven't been able to go for a week and I don't know there's something wrong because I was totally fine before this. And uh, he was completely obstructed where no stool could go through his colon. We did a CT scan, boom, there was a huge mass just, just completely uh, obstructing the flow of the stool in his colon. Um, now, that's, so that's a change in the bowel habits. The other opposite thing could be diarrhea, which means sometimes you can get overflow diarrhea where the mass obstructs the lumen and then you have some liquid bypass the stool and then you get diarrhea. Sometimes the caliber of the stool changes, like they become pencil thin or something like that. So any change in the bowel habits uh, habit should warrant a, um, it should be a red flag sign. And anyone who has these three symptoms should report to a doctor and have have be checked out. There are some non-specific signs like fatigue, um, unintentional weight loss, um, and things like that. But of course, those can pertain to any cancer. So the three main ones are, are abdominal pain, rectal bleeding, and a change in the bowel habits. But again, people could have a lot more symptoms than that. Can you ballpark for me what the average age is of somebody who might develop colon cancer? Yes, yeah, so most patients are uh, diagnosed around late 60s and 70s, but the polyps, which predispose people to cancer, usually start at after age 45. So we used to say that um, 50 was the target as far as when we should do colonoscopies to look for these pre-cancer polyps um, and to prevent cancer. 
Okay. Now this is not about cancer. This is about precancer polyps. But now we know that even though the incidence of cancer is, has slightly decreased in this country, probably because of intense screening methods in 50 year olds, what is happening and we're seeing a rise in 45 year olds. So young men and women are now developing colon cancer. And so what we're doing is now we are decreasing the the age of screening to 45 um, to catch those cases. Unfortunately, even though we started increasing intense uh, screening, and even though we've done a good job screening, still many, many Americans don't get screened. As much awareness that there is out there, we're still not doing a fantastic job screening. However, we are doing much better than we used to because people used to be afraid of getting colonoscopies. People, they had this thing where I would never want to do that. Anyway, there was some stigmas attached to it. So people used to not get the colonoscopy. But then we did a semi-good job getting people screened. But unfortunately, what has been happening, in my opinion, the reason that younger kids are getting colon cancer now is because of the bad diets in this country. Now, so, when you say younger kids, how young are we talking? I mean 45. Okay. The definition young of old is my age plus 10. <laughs> <laughs> so 45-year-olds. <laughs> okay. So it, we're seeing colon cancer in 40-some-year-olds, which shouldn't be. I mean, that just, you know, that's that's not good. Just last the la in the last two months, I um, diagnosed a 32-year-old with colon cancer with mm -hmm. no genetic predisposition. And uh, just about three months ago, I diagnosed a young mom in her 30s. She she's 36 with two kids with colon cancer. And just uh, about a year ago, I diagnosed a, another 36-year-old with colon cancer. Now, here's the thing. These are sporadically found, like cancer and they and, and and if you talk to these these people um two out of the three had a really terrible diet and mm -hmm. they could have mitigated their risk by eating healthy but you know if you look at the populations we're now noticing that um 45 is becoming a critical age so that's what i meant by young kids i mean <laughs> the 45 year olds gosh that that is still such a, a young age and i remember when i was growing up this is obviously some time ago now, but growing up, I always thought of it just because you kind of described at the top of the show, 60s, 70s, even 80s. You know, it's like an older person's disease, but not necessarily the case anymore. Um, you were talking about screening with the colonoscopy. Are there any other options out there? Because I know that there are people who just won't get that screening because it's such an invasive and unpleasant procedure, especially the part leading up to it. Absolutely. That's really important to know that you have options. It is not the colonoscopy is not the only option for screening. So do I do want to differentiate two things. There is a screening colonoscopy and then there is a diagnostic colonoscopy. Chuck, it's really important for people to know if they're having symptoms of abdominal abdominal pain, change in the bowel habits and blood in the stool, they should not do screening. That is totally not an option. They need colonoscopy. But if they're not having symptoms, just wanting a screening test done, there are three different good options to choose from. 
One is the colonoscopy, and I'll talk about the pros and the cons. The pros is that it's diagnostic and therapeutic, meaning when the gastroenterologist is traveling through the colon, they find polyps, they can remove them right then and there, okay? The cons are the fact that the patient has to get prepped and clean out the colon. It does require anesthesia, and it does require one day off work to get the test done. The risks are in infection, perforation, bleeding. They're very rare, but it can happen. The second option for screening is CT colonography. This is a procedure where somebody would get the prep, so just like you would for a colonoscopy, you would have to get the prep, clean out the colon, and what they do is they put a small probe into your rectum and insufflate your rectum with air so it expands. And then they send you through a CT scanner and the CT scanner takes um, coronal images and um, the radiologist looks at these images and looks for polyps, okay? Now, with CT colonography, if these polyps are very, very small, they leave them alone. But if they're a good size, then you would have to have a colonoscopy to get them resected. Mm. The cons include the fact that you have to get some radiation. Um, you do still have to have a prep. Um, and you, and basically, um, if you have polyps, you still have to have a colonoscopy anyway. The pros include the fact that you don't have the same risk with, you don't need anesthesia, you don't have infection, perforation, bleeding uh, risks. Um, the third option for screening are stool studies, okay? There's different stool studies. There's a fecal occult blood testing, which is absolutely useless. I would never get that done. There is one called the Cologuard, which is a really good test. Um, it's very sensitive, so if you if it's positive, um, then you would have to have a colonoscopy. Is that the one I've seen advertised on TV? Yes, yes, okay. it's advertised on TV. I, I actually like the test because it's very unlikely that the test would actually miss a cancer. It's a very sensitive test. So if it's negative, you can rest assured that there's very few false negative uh, results on that test. So if it's negative, you're good to go. If it's it's positive, it doesn't mean you have colon cancer. So what happens is a lot of people get anxiety because they come to me and they're like, my color guard was positive, now I need a colonoscopy and can we do this tomorrow? And I'm saying, I, I have to calm them down and say, look, don't think that you have colon cancer. We don't know, it could be a polyp that's bleeding. And But it does create a certain level of anxiety, but, um, but the, the, it's a good test. So I would encourage that if you don't wanna have a colonoscopy, if you don't wanna have a CT colonography, I would choose the Cologuard test, and then you have to have it th every three years. Um, with colonoscopy, if it's negative, it's every 10 years, but with the Cologuard, it's every three years, but you do it at the convenience of your home, so you just collect the stool and you send it off to the company. If it's positive, then you have to have a colonoscopy, okay? Right. Um, and it picks up advanced adenomas and, um, or precancer polyps, and it picks up cancers, it's a good test. So, you know, there are three modalities to choose from, and I would say that it is an individualized choice. You know, it, it's, it's not something that your doctor should push you into. You should learn about the three different modalities and you should decide what you want and what best fits your life, you know? Like, I know what I would do, and I know what I recommended my mom and dad to do, but I don't really push this decision on anyone. It should be an individualized choice. But the whole message here is get it done. 
choose one, one of the modality, modalities and get it done. And that's all that matters. I want to go back to the CT option here because, and I don't mean to be crude, but I can virtually guarantee you that there are people watching this and listening to this who are wondering the exact same thing. And that is because you're shooting air into the colon, do you feel like you have to pass gas really badly? <laughs> yes, but you know, it's not as bad as you think. People can often retain the gas <laughs> long enough to go through the CT scanner. But yes, it's definitely not comfortable. And that's one of the cons when it comes to getting the CT colonography. Um, it, and, and, you know, another problem is that you're getting a whole bunch of radiation. You see what I mean? And to me, that's definitely, that doesn't make any sense. Um, if I were to put my two cents into this and, and recommend um, to your viewers, think about option one and three. Skip that one. That's my humble opinion. But, you know, if you want to do it, do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get into uh, prevention here, I also want to do a little bit deeper dive on, on a polyp. We, we scratched the surface on it uh, just a little bit, not necessarily cancers, but talk to us a, a little bit more about what they are and how long. You said it can be a decade or so before it becomes cancerous? Yes. So polyps are abnormal growths. So we have different types of polyps. Some are completely benign, which means uh, they have no cancer potential, sometimes referred to as hyperplastic polyps. There are other types of polyps called adenomas. You can have tubular adenomas, tubular villous adenomas, and then you have some other pathology too. But um, most of these polyps, the adenomas are pre-cancer, meaning if left in the colon long enough, they have the potential to become cancer. Some kind of a DNA mutation happens and suddenly they, um, uh, the cells turn into go, go crazy and start dividing and, and, and basically infiltrating the, uh, let me do this. Imagine a cauliflower. Okay. You know how there is like a little stem and then there is that the flower part on top of it. Okay most polyps look like that. Okay, just imagine the top part and then a stalk, right? So these polyps, they start like at two millimeter, one millimeter and two millimeters. They start from one cell and they keep growing, right? And then one millimeter, two millimeter, 10 millimeters, one centimeters, then they go into two centimeters and they keep growing and growing. At some point in the life of the polyp, a mutation happens where it actually goes into the cancer route. So basically then what happens is this cancer keeps infiltrating backwards into the stem and then into the uh, lining of the colon, into the muscular layer, into the serosa layer, which is the outside part of the polyp, into the lymphatics and the blood vessels, and then off to the distant organs. Okay. So, but the, the, the good news is these polyps, which are not cancer, but they have cancer potential, usually take about 10 years to become a problem, okay? It's not overnight. So that's why they say that if you do your colonoscopy at age 45 and catch these polyps, that's when most people start having these problems with polyps, then you, you cut them out, then you're good to go for another 10 years. Do you see what I mean? Yep. So it's, they're very slow growing. Nevertheless, if you ignore it and then you're into your 60s and 70s, then it's not a matter of finding polyps. That's a matter of finding cancer. So, yeah, you're right. They, they take about five to ten years to grow. And some of them never turn into cancer. 
But when you're doing a colonoscopy, you remove everything because we never, we don't know which ones are going to turn into cancer and which one, which ones are going to stay quiescent and never turn into cancer. But we do know that polyps are the most likely the cause of cancer. These are the uh, predisposing factor to cancer. So, you know, and then later on we talk about how to not only uh, uh, prevent cancer, but how to prevent actually getting polyps in your, into your colon. Is it possible for somebody to develop a more advanced stage of colon cancer and remain asymptomatic for a while? Absolutely. I have had people who come in and their first sign is obstruction of the colon and they come straight to the hospital and they say that, you know, I had no symptoms and here they are with an obstructed colon, which means the cancer has grown so far that it has occluded the entire lumen and no stool can go. So they come in distended, bloated, and they haven't gone for many days. Um, they haven't had a bowel movement for many days. And they come in and we do a CT scan and there's a huge mass. Um, so yes, there, it is possible that people don't have any symptoms. But, you know, those same people, if they had screenings prior, um, several years prior, could have been cured. Sure. So that's really key. And how treatable is colon cancer? This is a final question. Then we're going to get into the prevention here. But say somebody gets the diagnosis, and I fully understand that it's going to vary case by case, but on average, how treatable is this? Yeah, so that's a very good question. If you catch the, the, the early stages at a very early stage where it's just, um, you can just cut it out the, the, because it's limited to the mucosa, the five-year survival is 90%. That's excellent, right? Mm -hmm. If you wait till that it's gone deeper into the deeper layers, it goes down from about 90% survival rate to 70% survival rate if they have waited where it's it just invaded a little bit more of the colon. And if you wait till it's distant, if there is local invasion and distant metastatic lesions, then survival rate goes down to only 12%. So imagine, um, you know, if, if it's caught early, um, survival rate is 90% versus 12% if it has gone to distant metastases like the liver, the lung, and the brain. All right. Well, now let's talk about prevention. At the top of the show, you mentioned that people, uh, it, it's your estimation that we can eliminate as much as 90% of all of these cases. And the best way to do that is through diet. So talk to me, what is the uh, optimal diet for somebody who's looking to lower the risk of colorectal awesome. cancer? Yeah, this is, this is my favorite. Besides diet, there are some other lifestyle modifications like avoiding alcohol, increasing physical activity, um, avoiding uh, tobacco smoking. Um, those are also very, very important. But also diet. Diet is key and one of the main lifestyle modifications one could make to prevent and avoid colon cancer. So recently, we have had access to many different studies looking at looking at the risk of colon cancer in association with red and processed meat. In fact, um, the World Health Organization um, basically came out and classified um, red processed meat as carcinogenic, meaning that there is substantial epidemiological evidence and studies that have linked processed meat 
to colon cancer. This is not a joke. Another thing that has recent, has been linked to cancer is cigarette smoking. World Health Organization has done exactly the same with uh, cigarette smoking. But when they come out and say that based on all of these papers, hundreds and hundreds of uh, papers and data that we have reviewed, there is a, a link without a doubt that processed meat causes colon cancer, one has to pay attention. And there's going to be some pushback, just like there was with cigarette smoking. But look, it is what it is. And if you're smart, you would look at it and see, like, there's enough data. I am not going to consume processed meat. Why? Well, it turns out that processed meat, like bacon and sausage and um, some of these deli meats, have they're preserved in ways where they, they have nitrates added. And these nitrates go into the gut and get converted by the gut microbiome to N-nitroso products, which are carcinogenic. What does that mean in English? It means that they cause cancer. They cause DNA mutation. And when that happens, then the, the normal cells turn into cancer cells and grow like wildfire. You may have gone lucky and you do not have colon cancer and you've consumed bacon and you know sausage your whole life, but it's never late to stop because just because you got lucky, it doesn't mean that you should continue living that lifestyle because as we age, a risk for colon cancer goes up. Uh, plus, um, you know, we know the studies are very, very consistent with uh, the risk, the association of processed meat to colon cancer. So um, either way, any way you look at it, it is an absolute good idea if you are consuming processed meat to stop. It is poison to your gut. It, it, it increases your risk of colon cancer, and you one should consider stopping altogether. Based on the, some epidemiological studies, there is now also a link between red meat, and we're not, we, this is not processed meat, this is just regular red meat, like steak, for example. Red meat has also been linked or associated with colon cancer. The World Health Organization has not uh, grouped it in group one yet because we do not have substantial evidence to say without a doubt they cause cancer, but there's definitely some red flags showing that there may be a link. And so the jury's hung on that for a while. But if you think about it, there are several reasons why red meat could be linked to colon cancer. Have you heard of heme iron? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay, heme so, and not so heme, heme, those are the two forms. That's right. That's right. So heme iron is what's plentiful in, for example, steak, is toxic to the cells. So it's theorized that the heme iron that is in the meat causes reactive oxygen species, ROS, the, it basically activates this ROS system and produces reactive oxy, ox, uh, oxygen species, which are detrimental and cancer-causing. They cause DNA mutation and they cause cancer. So definitely, there are there are definitely a lot of there are a lot of data coming out, and there's also biological and molecular explanations for why meat could also cause uh, cancer. And so I my I tell my patients if you're consuming uh, red meat more than twice per week, your risk is very very high. Please cut it down as much as possible and try to avoid it as much as possible and replace those options with plant-based options. 
um, and more beans and uh, grains and fruits and vegetables if possible. And we can, I'm sure, talk about fiber and how to mitigate the risk of colon cancer by increasing fiber. Yeah, let's talk about that. So you eliminate processed meat, you eliminate red meat, you have to replace it with something. uh, And you're saying that the plant-based diet here is the way to go. Uh, Is it because there's that's that's a diet that's so rich in fiber and fiber is kind of the key here in prevention? Absolutely. So if you look at the EPIC study, uh, EPIC study for over like maybe they had over 500,000 participants in 10 different countries, they looked at the, the, how the eating, how, how does fiber help? And it, it turns out that eating pr- plenty of fiber will lower your risk of colon cancer. They had another study, the PLCO study, which uh, had about um, 53,000 people also uh, looked at the risk of uh, colon cancer. And, and they noticed that people who eat more fiber have low, a lower risk of colon cancer. And they, another study actually looked at people who had colon cancer and they saw that if you eat more fiber, you lower your risk of uh, dying if you're eating more fiber. So even if you, ha- if you don't have colon cancer, eat a ton of fiber to prevent colon cancer and eat a ton of fiber to prevent even those precancer lesions, the adenomas. Um, and if you have cancer, eat more fiber to lower your risk of dying. So Either way, it is an awesome idea to eat a lot of fiber. So what does that mean? I'm not talking about supplements. These studies looked at actual food, fiber-rich foods, including uh, what I'm talking about is fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, grains, and legumes. So what, what happens is fiber actually, there are two types of fiber, soluble fiber and insoluble fiber. Soluble fiber goes into the gut and goes through a process of fermentation by the existing gut microbiome and produces something called short-chain fatty acids. And short-chain fatty acids actually look at cancer cells and they kill them. So it's called, it's called apoptosis. So th- these cancer cells go through apoptosis because of these short-chain fatty acid fermentation and they get killed before they have a chance to become cancer. So many times you don't know, but your body fights cancer cells, but once in a while it goes out of hand and it can't, it, it does, this process doesn't happen and, and the cancer grows like wildfire. But many times your body has this ability if you're eating the right foods to fight the cancer and you'll never know, but it, it's happening all the time. But short chain fatty acids are thought to cause apoptosis or killing of the cells when they go crazy and they're doing their own thing and they're cancerous. Another method for why uh, fiber is so important is because fiber stimulates the gut and increases the transit time. um, I'm sorry, decreases the transit time in the colon, pushes the stool through, and of, of course drags these toxins out too. So when you're when you're pushing constantly pushing these toxin, toxins out, you have a lesser risk of basically these toxins interacting with your colonic cells to cause cancer. So it's basically, we could say in layman's term, uh, fiber is detoxifying, okay? It also attaches to many hormones and toxins, so they don't have a chance to interact with the colon cell. They're pushed out into the stool. Um, so that's why... I emphasize to my patients, and I'm emphasizing now, that if you want to re- reduce your risk of colon cancer and colon polyps, 
I would recommend that you eat as much fiber as possible. Eat the colors of the rainbow. Make sure you have plenty of fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds, and grains into your diet every day. And avoid and reduce any type of um, red meat or processed meat in your diet. So, yeah, let's let's kind of summarize that a little bit further. It sounds to me like if you eliminate red meat, if you eliminate processed meat, you reduce your risk of cancer by X percent. But then if you take that a step further and you go on a plant-based diet, you really then are kind of giving yourself the best kind of prevention possible. Is that about right? Absolutely. You know, Chuck, the fish and poultry have never really been studied yet. So we still need more studies to determine whether um, those are increasing our risk of uh, cancer. So we don't know, but in the in the interim, I can tell you that most Americans are not consuming enough fiber. If you look at the population, what's happening is people are so obsessed about their protein that that what are they doing? They're eating a whole bunch of fish. They're eating a whole bunch of uh, poultry, and some are like, okay, because of the Epic study and whatever other study. Or because of all these other studies, I will go ahead and stop uh, consuming um, processed meat and red meat. But what are they doing? They're replacing it with chicken and fish. But I want to make that clear that that's not necessarily going to mitigate your your risks. We don't know for sure. But we do know one thing. We know, statistically speaking, most Americans are getting only about 10 to 15 grams of fiber per day, which is very low. It is extremely low. Most Americans should get well over 30 grams of fiber per day. And I believe, in my humble opinion, the reason this is happening is because people are so obsessed about getting protein that they make sure that their plate, what's on their plate, plate the main thing on the plate is a piece of meat, right? Whether it's fish or chicken, it doesn't matter. That's the centerpiece. And so they'll have a few vegetables on the side which is just not enough fiber. So that's why when I talk to my patients, I make it clear that if you go eat more meat, you're not necessarily lowering your risk. You've got to eat more fiber, okay? So replace that piece of meat, red meat that you were eating with a plant-based option. Do you see what I mean? I do. Pick a whole food plant-based uh, garden burger or a whole food plant-based um, just beans or lentils or tempeh or tofu. Well, right? let me that let me ask you this. I think that, you know, especially somebody who is new to the idea of eating a plant-based diet, they're, we're just being inundated right now for advertisements for, you know, the Impossible Whopper and the Beyond Burger and things of that nature. Very uh, new to the market still in, um, you know, in this grand scheme of things. But what do we know about how that might mitigate the risk of developing cancer? Because these things are yeah. still relatively high in fat and calorically dense. Absolutely. Um, high in fat, calorically dense, and as far as I'm concerned, low in fiber, right? We've got to increase the fiber to lower risk of colon cancer. And if you're eating something high fat, low fiber, you're not necessarily doing what, what, what's optimal. Now, I do want to point out that if you're eating processed meat and you're eating 
hot dogs and bacon and you're eating red meat and you want to make a transition to eating more plant-based and you just want your taste buds to kind of go along with you and you want replacement foods, I would say that the Impossible Burger is probably not as toxic because it doesn't have heme iron, right? And so, but but no one has tested these 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 things. We just know a high fiber diet is protective. We know red meat and processed meats are toxic. So, my suggestion is keep those to a minimal. They're probably better than the red meats and the processed meats, but we that's not what I'm advocating to go eat more of those. Mm-hmm. I think you and I are on the same page that we need to eat a whole food plant-based diet, which means non-processed foods, a ton of fiber. It's just sometimes hard for people to go and make that um, that switch right off the bat and they want some transition foods, but I call them transition foods. Right. That means you shouldn't be eating them all the time. Right, you know, right. I would, for example, maybe I have actually never had an Impossible Burger. I've had Beyond uh, Burgers. I had one like last year, like once in in a blue moon, I will have it. But it should not be the staple of one's diet. Sure. Um, Real quick, we're running out of time here, but I I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned obesity um, toward the top of the show. And I'm curious, if obesity raises the risk of colon cancer, is it? the obesity itself or is it likely the diet that that person is eating? That's such an excellent question and we don't know that. We just do know that when you're obese, your risk is higher. But theoretically, it could have been um, that, of course, people who are, I mean, you and I know, Chuck, if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, truly whole food plant-based, it's almost impossible to be morbidly obese or even obese. I mean, (laughs) it's just that it's almost impossible. Now, I'm not talking about vegan, meaning if you're eating a bunch of processed vegan food donuts, that yes, you can become obese and overweight. But but yes, I, I wonder, I mean, that should be tested. If you could test that, give people uh, meat and dairy in one group and then the other group healthy foods and give them enough calories to become obese and then find out which ones had a risk of colon cancer, who, who had a higher risk of colon cancer. I bet you anything the people who ate badly had a higher risk of colon cancer. So I think what you eat matters. So if you're eating a ton of uh, calories, but they're good calories, you're probably not going to be as uh, as prone to colon cancer just because you know you're not eating the heme iron you're not eating the nitrates of course you know you're uh, you're going to do better but i mean i don't really know i mean that's that's a really good question and i think right. it should be tested but most people in america who are obese and overweight did not get there because they ate too much of good food that's uh, well, for sure i mean i can tell you that from experience so let's hammer home this point then say i continued on the path that i was okay so at my heaviest i weighed 420 pounds Wow. Saying, you know, let, let's just assume that I didn't have a heart attack or anything like that. What if I would have continued down that path? What would my risk of colon cancer have been? What would my chances be in your estimation? Oh, you you definitely would have had a huge. Do you have any family history of colon cancer? Not to the best of my knowledge. Okay, so you you don't have any genetic risk factors. You uh, definitely would have been in the pool of the 90% pie chart that you would have had probably could have had colon cancer um, because, you know, you were just, you were, you were obese. You probably had physical inactivity, right? Mm, Oh, no, no doubt about it. Were you drinking alcohol? 
Uh, yes. Not heavily, but yes, there definitely was alcohol. Were you smoking alcohol. cigarettes? For a time, yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. So you were basically had all the bad habits on the book, you know, over obese, morbidly obese, drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes, and you had physical inactivity. You probably could have, you probably would have had colon cancer at some point. I mean, I would have been shocked if you didn't. Well, I'm glad that I changed things up. Um, all right, final question to you is this. Uh, I think that a lot of times people really like specifics. Uh, so we've talked in generality about fruits and vegetables, but what are some of the ones that you really like, the ones that you incorporate to your diet? You know, I basically try to eat a lot of different types of foods. So I always say, eat the colors of the rainbow and, and incorporate as many fruits and vegetables as possible different types. But cruciferous vegetables are key in fighting cancer. There's some studies that show that cruciferous vegetables actually fight cancer. So, um, but also, you know, as long as foods have antioxidants, they also repair DNA damage. So antioxidants are in deep colored fruits and vegetables like blueberries. So I eat a ton of blueberries every morning. Um, beets, I eat a lot of beets because they're full of, uh, you see that deep, rich, red, purple color? That means that it has a lot of antioxidants. And beets are really good if you have constipation because they have a ton of fiber. Good so, to know. Yes, deep, rich colors as well as uh, cruciferous vegetables are the key to um, to a good, healthy diet. Well, I would say uh, I can only speak from experience, but I think that, you know, when I was super overweight, none of that was on my plate. So that is definitely uh, good to know. Um, Dr. Sadegi, thank you so very much for being so generous with your time. Is there anything else that you think that we should touch on before we wrap things up here? Well, I, no, I think we had a very good, I think, conversation. And I think that if every single person, just to recap, does their screening colonoscopies or screening stool studies, um, and in general, does their screenings age appropriate at age 45, unless they have a family history where that has to get started sooner, um, and they eat a whole food plant-based diet, we could beat colon cancer. But um, start your age-appropriate screening at age 45, and if you're not old enough to do the screening, eat a whole food plant-based diet, and you will most likely never have to worry about colon cancer in your lifetime. All right, but uh, you are a practicing gastroenterologist, which means that people actually can come and visit you. You will give them a consultation. You'll give them the once-over. Uh, your offices yes. are in Newport Beach. Uh, what is your website? What's your phone number? How can people get in touch sure. with you? My office phone number is 949-404-4444, and my website is www.drangiehealth.com, D-R. A-N-G-I-E health.com. And my Instagram is Angie.Sadegi, and I'm very active on Instagram. All right. And we will uh, be linking off to all of those in the episode notes below. So uh, just scroll on down and, and give yourself a click and give uh, Dr. Angie a ring or visit her website. Uh, if you're in the L.A. Newport Beach area, I think that that would be fantastic. But uh, again, Dr. Angie Sadegi, thank you so very much for your time and for really kind of taking charge of, of everything that we're trying to do this month. That's fantastic. Cannot thank you enough. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I I, I'm, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to be on your podcast, which is 
amazing and you're you're helping so many people and it was an honor and a pleasure to be on your podcast and thank you for all the wonderful questions and thank you for helping so many people as well it's been a real pleasure dr angie thank you Dr. Sudeghi wrote a blog outlining six ways to fight colorectal cancer, and we just put that up on PCRM.org. It, it follows up on a lot of what we were just talking about, but it also explores a little bit more on the link between cancer and processed meat. It's a good read. It's a quick read, and we posted a link to it in the episode notes for the show below. And spoiler alert, one of the six ways was indeed to load up on fiber. So what foods have the most fiber? What should we be eating to make sure that we're getting the most bang for our fiber buck? For that, we're going to turn to the fiber queen, dietitian extraordinaire, Lee Crosby. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Last segment, we learned how high-fiber foods can help reduce the risk of colorectal cancer. And anytime I hear the word fiber, a little voice in my head goes off and it says, Hey, reach out to Lee Crosby, the wonderful dietitian upstairs, because she is the fiber queen. <laughs> Welcome back I, to the show. I don't actually pay him to say that, but. <laughs> well, I mean, look, the bottom line is this. We've started a trend on the podcast. You are now known as the Fiber Queen. That's and right. even people in the office now are referring to you as It that. happens. Yeah. Yeah. I Again, I never knew that would be what I would be known for. But you know what? I'll take it. You own Fiber it. Fiber is pretty magical stuff. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> so now that we know that oh, fiber gracious. can be uh, protective, not just against colorectal cancer, but, you know, really a, a lot of forms of cancer and, and other diseases, I was like, all right, Lee can probably help us out with some specific foods that are exceptionally high in fiber so that when we go to the grocery store, we know exactly what to get. Spoiler alert, they're all whole plant foods. Oh, really? What? Shocker. And Metamucil is not on the list, although it is high in fiber. Yeah. How does that fiber compare to what you would find in a whole food? I mean, it, dep if, it depends on the food. So Metamucil is, more, is higher. It's, it's soluble fiber. So you're going to find more of that in things like beans or in oats or barley. But I really like it when you eat the whole food because not only do you get the fiber, but instead of having it like divorced from all the other cool stuff that's in fiber-rich plant foods, you get all these other phytochemicals that can fight cancer and antioxidants along with it. So why would you take this thing separate unless there was some medical reason you absolutely needed to? Uh, yeah. yeah. We, we tend to compartmentalize nutrition a lot like that, don't we? We really do tend to sort of get very – it's kind of um, tunnel vision almost mm -hmm. or sort of like nearsighted, sort of myopic about how we're looking at this. Like, oh, I must have fiber. The best way to get it then would be to just – separate it out and have fiber like no eat the whole food right on yes i got you all right well uh let's talk whole foods let's talk fiber what should we be getting like give me one of your top highest amount of fiber foods um surprisingly in this one you may not think of it but split peas really split peas yeah so a cup cooked has 16 grams of fiber and i love it because it's a balance of that soluble fiber again that helps lower cholesterol and make things yeah 
comfy, yeah. along with insoluble fiber that acts like that sort of scrub brush to move everything along. So huge fan. 16 grams. And how much fiber should the average person be eating every day? <laughs> Way more than the average person is eating every day. So here we recommend about 35 to 40 grams, which you'll get before you blink an eye on a, a plant-based diet. It's just going to happen. Yeah. So you don't really need to think about it. But if you want to, we can talk some pretty awesome foods when it comes to fiber. I know. So like you eat that cup of split peas, you're almost halfway home already. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're actually going to get more in a cup of split peas than the average American gets in a day. True fact. Growing up, I thought split peas were literally green peas cut in half. Not so much. Yeah. It's a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. Okay. I always thought that, man, that's a lot of work. And you need a tiny knife to do that. Who sits there and cuts these peas up? I know. Uh, what, what? <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Suppose somebody's not big on uh, split peas. What else should they be looking at? They can do things like, well, lentils are also a good sub. They have a slightly different flavor. They're not hugely different in terms of, well, they're a little actually lower in fiber. So those are good. Cannellini beans. I I feel like... They are the unsung bean hero because they are so versatile. They have a mild flavor. They have a white color, so you can mix them into anything, and they just take on the sort of color and flavor of whatever they're in. Cannellini beans. And, and they're good fun. by themselves, actually. And fun to say. And fun to say. It's it's actually one of those – no one can really agree on how to say it. So if you are Italian and you know how to actually say cannellini beans, you just send Chuck a message. Ah, and let us know how we're saying it, if we're saying it right. Can I eat cannellini? Can I've heard cannellini, cannelli, cannella. Just, yeah, can't eat it. Okay. okay. <laughs> can I? Can, I don't can, know. Can we get to the next food then? <laughs> Fine. Uh, what about fruit? You know, because that, that has a lot of fiber in it. If you got a sweet tooth, why not, you know, Exactly. And here. some of the sort of power players when it comes to fruit, can you have power players? Oh, you absolutely can have power fruits. So you power absolutely fruits. can. <laughs> you heard it here first. Blackberries and raspberries. Now, why is that? Because, yeah, you're eating the berry and you've got all these cool things coming with it. Okay, I won't go off too far on a tangent, but, again, phytonutrients, stuff that we know can actually help with brain function, which I feel like there are plenty of days when I could use that. Mm -hmm. But they have those little seeds in them. So you're eating those whole seeds along with all this fruity goodness, so you get a, a really nice dose of fiber. Right. What about something like a blueberry that's not quite as seedy? It's not quite as fibery. Ah, ah. Still good. Okay. Still great. I eat them every morning. Don't get me wrong, but they're not quite as high in fiber. So we're talking uh, blackberries and raspberries, like seven to eight grams of fiber in a cup versus blueberries, like three and a half ish. So it's about half. Yeah. Yeah. Still great. Still eat them. Right. Very pro blueberry. I mean, you get all the antioxidants with that. That's that bonus nutrient thing that it, we were talking about. It is. And there are studies on blueberries and brain health, but that's another that's another segment. Ah. Yes. Another uh, fruit that is probably up there in the power chart, the power rankings, <laughs> would be the apple. You know, this there's so many fruit different- Fruit producers, com- are you listening to yeah. this? <laughs> so, so, yeah. So we'll establish this, the power rankings of fruit. Yes. But yeah, an apple has to be up there. That's America's favorite fruit, I would assume. It is. And it's also such a great convenience food. I mean, you just, it can handle anything. It, I oh, mean, yeah. it goes in a kid lunchbox and you can just abuse it all. They still taste great. So, <laughs> I mean, kids are rough The kids on do stuff. abuse those lunchboxes <laughs> too, really man. They really do. Yeah. So a medium apple has about four and a half grams of fiber. And most of us are actually, unless you're getting those sort of like, you know, the ones in a bag, a multi 
apple bag. Yeah. Like, it, well, those are like the ones we often send with kids. That's like the four and a half grams. But the grown-up size apples that you buy separate at the grocery store, those are going to be five and up in terms of grams of fiber. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. A lot great. of that, I would imagine, comes from the peel, correct? It does. Okay. Yes. But yeah. the whole apple's got great stuff going right. on. And again, there's also that soluble, insoluble fiber balance that mm. actually apples are pretty good with. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of apples. What about apple's cousin, the pear? Also really good for fiber and delicious in a smoothie. If you're not a banana person, pro tip, pears make a great sub for bananas in a smoothie. All right. We digress. What? So, no, hold on now. We can't just move on after you drop a nugget like that. I just wanted people to know that it gives it that same kind of creamy flavor. And it's it's a, it's a tasty, but it's more neutral even than bananas. So, again, if you have someone who doesn't like bananas or has – there, I'm certain there are people with banana allergies, then you can use pear in place. So I love bananas, but I'm going to try that just on principle. That sounds oh, awesome. It's pretty tasty. Anyways, about five grams of fiber in a pear as well. Oh, that's that's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, broccoli, the thing that I know about broccoli is that it has a surprisingly high level of vitamin C. So that's kind of like the bonus thing when it comes to broccoli. It does. And also cancer-fighting sulforaphane. Yes. I'll say that five times fast. <laughs> Can't. Uh, but what about fiber? Fiber, about five grams in a cup. So it's a fiber champ also. Nice. Yeah. It's so easy to get a cup of of any of these things. Like, and we haven't even gotten into whole grains. That's just a whole other category. But those are all really high in fiber, too. I know. We have to keep the short. But we'll bring you back. We'll do a whole episode on whole grains. I would love to do that. The whole grain, whole episode. It will be the holy grail of whole grains. Oh, it's whole, good. Whole, wow. Holy Moving moly. On. <laughs> This is just pun pun central over it. Puntastic. All right. Uh, Last but not least, I would imagine if there was a a chart of power vegetables, the sweet potato would rank in the top ten. It would. I heart sweet potatoes. Oh, they're so good. Big time. I mean, they're delicious. You can do them for breakfast. You can do them with a meal, going savory. You can have them for dessert with cinnamon on them. Like it's. Love these things. And another fun fact, pro tip, you can make them in your Instant Pot using the steamer basket, and it's super fast. And they come out just meltingly tender and delicious. What? Yes. I know. It was one of the things where I'm like, Instant Pot, yeah, it's cool. You make beans in it. And then I realized you could steam things that were not just like greens. You can steam whole potatoes, but the sweet potatoes, they just come out. If you like a nice, soft, sort of melty sweet potato, that's how they come out. It's delightful. So when you say Instant, like Instant Pot, cuts down the time how much time are we talking here you know it's i don't i mean it's probably about half relative wow. to how long they go in the oven maybe a little faster yeah because it's, it's a good hour when you put a potato in the oven um, typically for me because i like them really tender it's even more than that yeah i do too like yeah. i'd like to just be able to peel that skin right off. oh yeah so know? that'll happen the only thing you don't get clearly is the caramelization that you would get a little bit of in the oven but man in terms of time savings so great mm. And again, it doesn't really require babysitting like an oven, too. You know, like, it sounds weird, but sometimes I'll even take those tender sweet potatoes and I'll put it in a salad. Oh, and, uh, that sounds really good. I mean, like, and, and it's so good because, like, uh, these are my kitchen sink salads where it's like, what do I have in the fridge tonight? Oh, I have this. I have that. Let those me just throw best. it all on top. Yeah. You know, and it works so well. Like, if you pair it with, you know, like, brown rice, you throw that in there with a bunch of greens. Then you got the sweet potato. Then you can add some sort of uh, bean in there if you my want like that. My dietitian heart just grew, like, three sizes. It's I know. So you know that. And you know what I've been just like going to town on recently? Hmm. Banana peppers. Banana pepper. How spicy are these? No, I get the mild ones. Okay, because I'm like, well, I'm a big wimp when it comes to spice. No, I definitely get the mild ones. Oh. And huh. it's it's just a little bit of tartness. It's not so much spice. It's just a touch of tart. Does and it it's have that so good, good pepper flavor too, though? It 
can ish ish it, so i mean don't expect okay. a bell pepper or anything no like no that. no but like i like the jalapeno flavor but not the heat because if it would give me more of the flavor and less of the heat i would be all about that i would say it's kind of comparable yeah wow yeah mild banana peppers mild banana pepper okay so they there are spicier ones but you yeah. can get them come into jar. Just look for the uh for the mild all ones. right yeah. that's on the shopping you list can also for the get week. the fresh ones i don't always see them in the produce section i don't think i've ever seen think them of, give it a try to be fair i haven't been looking yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but real quick, I cannot let you go from this fiber bonanza before we talk about Mama Crosby. Your mom is getting into the teaching world. She is. She is officially a Food for Life instructor, yeah. and she is going to be teaching her very first class. I am so proud. Um, starting this coming Tuesday, March 10th. So it'll be in McLean, Virginia. It's going to be a five-class series, the Kickstart Your Health series. So the food, what foods are optimal for weight management and what foods are optimal for for fighting chronic disease. And then I'm um, actually really, so I will, full disclosure, I will be her sous chef. Nice. So I'm certain if anyone wants to come and, you know, ask random dietitian questions, that can happen too. But what I'm most excited about is you know how I feel about greens. Yes. I think they are as close to heaven as you can get on. <laughs> well, okay, maybe too much. But when it comes to health, Okay, but when it comes to health, they are. But when it comes to taste, some people stay awake. They're like, I don't know. They can be bitter. I don't know what to do with them. The first class, we're going to talk about some quick and easy you know, other meal ideas. But we're going to go and do a deep dive on the greens and how to make them come out tasty every single time. Right on. You know what? The- Does anyone actually care about that? Besides me. I don't know. I hope so. Uh, well, well, no. I think that somebody that's <laughs> listening to this podcast clearly does. I mean, this is their wheelhouse. Like, they love some nutrition. Like, I heart greens. That should be the theme for the show, right? a t-shirt with that. Well, no. You need I heart fiber. Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I, this seems like the kind of class where, you know, maybe somebody who's been vegan or vegetarian for a long time would bring, you know, a veggie curious friend or family yes, member with them. Absolutely, cuz again, you're going to get some of the health information, but mostly you're going to be getting some really awesome cooking skills and tasty foods. You're going to get to try them right there, so there're going to be samples happening. It's going to and it's just going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 And your mom is an amazing plant-based success herself. She lost what, 100 pounds? Yeah, just about. Yep. Yeah. And again, it wasn't overnight. It took her three years. And I think if you go back to one of these earlier episodes, right, she was on the podcast. So you can hear the full story. But but the thing is, she did that in her 60s when most people think, oh, you know, after menopause, women can't lose weight. Why am I even going to try? And it wasn't easy. And she's going to talk about her story there, too. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. It it really just goes to show that it's never too late to make a change. Oh, absolutely not. And to and to sustain it. That's yeah. the other thing. Because losing weight is hard. Keeping it off, a lot of people don't think about it. But I'm, oh, you know, yeah, that's it's the, that's not the hard part. easy. Yeah. So it, again, she's got some 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 tips there in terms of you know things that can be helpful. That's great, man. I'm so proud of her. Like you, here, here's the thing. If you're hearing this and and you're familiar with Lee because you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you need to know that Mama Crosby is just like Lee. Lee is a chip off the old block. And so like you're going to get a double dose of puns and fun and all <laughs> sorts will. of like yes. enthusiasm when it comes to health. Like this is going to be a fun class a series. true story. And yeah. I know for a fact like your mom just wants to do good in the world. So she really these, does. these classes like they're priced to move, you know, to put it in my old oh, yeah. radio 
terminology, Priced. like price yes. to move. No, they are. Like they really are. Five classes, it's only $75. Yeah, right? and again, that's including all the food and each class is an hour and a half to two hours. So it's going to be a blast. And the nice thing is also if you're not, so this is going to be in McLean, Virginia, in the Northern Virginia area. Yeah, just outside of D.C. If you're not there, you can just hop on to the Physicians Committee website, pcrm.org, and look up Food for Life yep. classes. And you can find one of these in your area. Oh, yeah. I won't be the sous chef. But they are fantastic classes. Our instructors just do an amazing job. That's Yeah, you know, and, and I'm familiar with that curriculum, having gone through the training. And it really I is for- just a wonderful program. I forgot. It is a wonderful program. I need to, like, I really? do have two classes coming up that are private that I, I can't talk about. <gasps> but that is that is my, my soiree. Into, this is exciting. I know. What? I know. I just can't announce it publicly. Okay. I know. All right. That's kind Except of horrible the- to even say, right? Because now <laughs> people are going to be wondering. <clears throat> I was like, well, I'm just now finding out about this too. So yeah. we're all on the same level here. What could listener. it possibly be? But no, your mom is, <laughs> no, is definitely curious. you know going to do a bang up job. She's just she's such a fun loving, caring, kind hearted person. I really, I mean, again, it's my mom, so you know. It, I'm a little biased on that, but she's just – she's got a great heart. Like she's just one of the kindest people I've ever met. Right on. And she's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, you know, All right. come on and, now. And that starts Tuesday, March 10th. We're going to put a link to the registration page in the episode notes below. And if you're listening to this on PCRM.org slash podcast, just go ahead and click, uh, click on Mama Crosby. <laughs> or you we'll, can we'll click make on sure, it. It's yeah, clink, click, whatever. Uh, <laughs> just – Click really on that, that blue underline word uh, and, and go ahead and, and register, and that'll be great. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I hope that it goes swimmingly well. I hope that some exam room listeners show up and, you I know. I would love to see them there. Soak it all in. Yeah, sous chef. Sous chef Lee. It's, it's going to be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we got to wrap this thing up here. We've uh, gone longer than I expected. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for sharing some uh, fiber insight with us there, Fiber Queen. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. And don't forget to register for Mama Crosby. Food for Life class starting March 10th if you're in the Washington, D.C. area. Go ahead and do that. Lee Crosby, thank you. Thanks, Chuck. In the episode notes below, I've listed the foods that Lee and I were discussing and the amount of fiber that they have. So maybe you want to jot that down before your next trip to the grocery store so your cart can be overflowing with fiber and then you'll be good to go. During my conversations with Lee and Dr. Sadegi, it kind of got me to thinking back to when I was still overweight. Dr. Sadegi and I talked a little bit about this, but after we hung up, I kind of thought I was eating 10,000 calories a day at my heaviest. And yet, I will bet you dollars to vegan donuts that I'm eating more fiber today despite the fact that I'm eating one-fifth the amount of calories. Isn't that wild? More fiber today than I ever did when I was eating that gargantuan daily menu of fast food, that standard American diet on steroids, basically. So hopefully today you've gotten a lot of good advice so you can put this stuff into practice in your life. Ways that you can load up on fiber. Think about putting those foods on your plate and think about how many cases of colon cancer are completely preventable. Dr. Sadegi, she estimates that we can cut that number dramatically, drastically. I mean, just night and day difference. And that means, that means that you have the power to control your health. And that is truly food for thought. So what else is on your mind? 
If you have any questions about today's show or anything related to nutrition, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll, WLC. And you can also find me on Facebook and shoot me a message there. And the Physicians Committee is at PCRM on Twitter and at Physicians Committee on Instagram. And Dr. Barnard is at Dr. Neil Barnard on both Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Neil Barnard. And if you're interested in sharing this life-saving information, really making a difference, one of the easiest ways that you can do that is to share the exam room on Facebook or just tweet about it. Or you can do the really easy thing and just subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever shows are available. And when you do that, please also leave a five-star rating and a nice review. Because when you do that, that helps even more people discover the exam room and all of this important nutrition education that comes with it. Yes, we have a lot of fun. We can cut up and carry on from time to time, but there is no doubt that the information on this show is so critically important when it comes to your health. So let's see if we can help transform the lives of some other people as well. So hit that subscribe button and I promise you that goes a long, long way toward helping the next person lead a healthier life. And that's going to do it for us this week. My thanks again to Dr. Angie Sadegi and to dietitian Lee Crosby for lending their knowledge as we begin Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, keep it plant-based. <laughs>